Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, John Williams, head of marketing, The Instant Group, discusses how far behind the business curve is CRE. Welcome, everyone. We are in the Workplace Learning Center. My name is, uh, what is my name? Clayton Whitman. I'm from Callis and RTKL, an architecture design firm. I'm based in New York. Uh, We've got offices around the world. Uh, We're proud to be a sponsor of this year's Cornet Workplace Lab. Um, Today we've got John Williams, the CMO from the Instant Group. John is a property marketing expert who has worked with a number of leading brands, including Sotheby's, International Realty, uh, Land Securities, Woods Bagot, Brookfield, Instant, Unispace, and uh, Knight Frank. He sits on the board of Property Marketing Awards and has presented the EG Marketing Summit for the last three years. His experience spans both the commercial and residential sectors. I give you John Williams. Hi, everyone. Thank you for being patient. It was all going so well. Um, So first up, I don't think you've given me the clicker. Oh, there you go. Right. So why are we here? So Instant are the largest and oldest uh, holders of data on the Flex workspace market. So we've got 20 years of transactional data. We list more space than anyone else. As a result, we have the best supply, demand, and pricing data in any global market at the moment. In essence, it gives us a really good view of what Flex space and co-working mean to corporates, to co-working companies, and everything in between. But what we really see in the market is not just co-working. We're seeing the fundamentals are changing in terms of what clients want and how they want it. And we see a real similarities between our market, how it's being disrupted, and how other sectors have been disrupted at the same time. And what's underpinning this is that CRE has really started to find the customer, to find the client. Flex workspace and co-working has come about because of client demand. Clients want specifics, they want choice. They want to know what's out there in the market on their terms and to procure a new kind of space. As a Flex Workspace provider friend told me, when you sign a lease, that's the start of your problems. After that, you have to find a workspace designer, a consultant, a contractor, an FM company. With Flex Workspace, you're buying a solution from end to end. They'll sort out the IT, the design, you pay when you move in. It's a completely different way of procuring real estate. It's the model itself moving from asset management, so purely looking after the lease and the lenders, to becoming more of a service-based market. And it's telling today to see so many people from Convene, IWG, WeWork, they're the biggest stands in this show because they recognize the need for service provision and where their brands sit in the market. And we've seen it in lots of other markets too. Now, quite a few of these are consumer brands but the way that Netflix, Spotify, Tesla, taking established business models that were seemingly impervious to change and really shaking them up and doing so very quickly and doing so in a digitally enabled way. So what can we learn from these other sectors? So hands up here, who remembers Blockbusters properly? Who used to go and take a video back on a Sunday night? But was that not the most boring process in the world, taking a video back to a video store Sometimes it wasn't that. You had to rewind it, the whole process. It was a nightmare. Kids today, like Jessica here, you just download it to your laptop on the go anytime. 
But Blockbuster famously had the chance to buy Netflix for $50 million. And they turned it down because they didn't see how the Netflix model set within their brand, because they were focused on asset management. Blockbuster for them was about the real estate on the high street. It was about the staff. It was about the assets of the videotapes themselves. They failed to recognize what the consumer wanted, and they failed to move fast enough to take advantage of it. Similarly, when you look at the streaming model, so Daniel Esk, the CEO of Spotify, he went to the record labels directly and said, work with me, buy me or invest in me. I'm going to deliver what customers want. I'm going to give the clients what they want right now. But the record labels turned him down because they didn't want to give up on the CDs. The margin on the CDs was so big to them, why on earth would they stream a service, lose the cost? And the bands felt the same way. But now famously, Daniel Esk is richer than one of the Beatles because he's given clients what they want when they want it. This is a rather pithy comparison. It's, it's a bit trite, but if you look at Netflix market penetration, Netflix is one of the biggest companies in the world, and it's really deep into its market already with consumers at about 35% average. Comparatively, these are our numbers on flex space absorption into the market. So in Europe, about 7% of total office supply is now flex space. That's not much, given all the press that we work and everyone else gets. You'd think it would be more. In the US, of total market share, flex workspace makes up less than 1% so far, despite all the headlines, which is a tiny amount. How much further can it grow? So, another example much given, Kodak. Back in the day, you buy a Kodak film and a camera. The Kodak board knew they had one of the world's biggest, most established brands. But overnight, their entire market went away. At no stage did anyone within Kodak look at smartphones, look at camera film, and think, we have a real problem here. But their, their brand share, their share price, literally went within a year as soon as the first iPhone was launched and the analysts realized what this meant for their markets. But no one with Kodak had recognized that. Kodak has now made a comeback by being extremely specialized, extremely niche, and catering for camera experts. But it took them 10 years to dig themselves out of the hole they found themselves in because they didn't recognize where consumer demand and customer choice was going. And this is just a, I, I read a book by this Harvard professor Mr. Tales Texera. Now, he came up with a term of unlocking the customer value chain, of decoupling value. He talks here about how Amazon have removed the customer from the retailer. Suddenly, retailers and manufacturers of clothes could sell direct to the client, but now they've got Amazon to go through first. And Amazon haven't just taken away the client, Amazon have taken away the supply chain from the two. So retailers are left holding the asset of the material, of their knowledge, whatever it may be. Amazon have every other bit of the client, including the data. They've consciously decoupled, just like Gwyneth and Chris Martin, they've decoupled the consumer from what they really want, which is the data and the understanding. In many ways, you can think about WeWork, Convene, and Notel are doing the same thing. They're owning the service, they own the brand connection, they're giving the customer and the client what they want, and they've removed the asset manager and the asset holder from the equation, which is something that would have been inconceivable to landlords probably as little as 10 years ago, even five years ago, but the market's moved. And of course, we had to mention WeWork, they're here today, they've been a source of all kinds of news, 
you can say what you like about the, uh, the, share or the, the lack of share price or the fundamentals behind the business, but what Adam Newman and WeWork did get and have done remarkably successfully is build a brand. I'd also argue that before WeWork came along, was there any commercial real estate brand which had real recognition? When I get in a London taxi, I can say, take me to WeWork Moorgate. The taxi driver knows exactly where to take me. Prior to that existing, there was no commercial real estate brand. You couldn't say, take me to Land Securities in Victoria, because they'd have no context for what that would mean. But what Adam Newman has done successfully, and that cannot be taken away from him, is build a really successful brand which has driven consumer awareness. And we can show why. Now, despite the fact there are so many technology companies here today, there's one real problem I think that property and workspace does have. We looked at the total value of the assets in three sectors, fintech, medtech, and proptech. So looked at the investment into property technology versus the total assets. If you look at the investment into property of proptech, it makes up a tiny increment of the total value of the sector. I don't think the property sector sees the value of technology enough, nor knows what to do with it. If you look at fintech or medtech, they're investing considerably 10 times, 20 times more into technology than real estate and property is. We're behind the curve. We fail to recognize just how important it is. And the other reason why workspace needs to evolve, company sizes are decreasing exponentially. So by 2030, we're looking at a shelf life of less than 10 years. Many startups these days barely get to three years. Why would companies who have a demonstrably shorter business plan and business life, why would they ever sign a 10-year lease? Why would they ever sign a five-year lease? For so many startups and companies coming to market, it's a total anathema to them. They want agility and flexibility, and they want to move fast, whether it's upwards or to scale back, but they need agility. The market's only just started catering for this. I'll skip through those ones to get to the next one. So... This is not the first time that people have talked about this. There's a great Harvard Business Review article from 2009, just post the financial crisis, at which uh, the, the HBR writer talks about the four attributes that CRE will need to survive over the next two decades. Remarkably, he called out flexible workspace and the rise of co-working perfectly. He said that clients needed to diversify and manage their portfolio better, have a better mix within their portfolio of agile solutions. He said flexibility was key. When he saw Lehman Brothers happen in 2008, he recognized that companies had to move faster. They had to have more flexibility in what it is they were trying to do. He said that they needed to work with a more diverse array of professionals within the sector. It couldn't be the same guys again and again. They needed to have a different market view and a different approach. And he said they needed more market intelligence. Our sector needs to see more of what is going on. Now, I argue, if you look at the stand here today, all of these suppliers are trying to look at these options and trying to look at these problems for your average head of CRE. But these were problems 10 years ago, and they're still problems for CRE now that no one's really cracked. So I talked about brands and about co-working and we work and what it means. But for me, this is what it really means. So we pulled out all the Google search data from around the world, from consumers, to show what the average consumer looks for when they start searching for office space or co-working. So this is total Google search demand. Demand for co-working 
is spiking exponentially, growing all the time. If you look at WeWork against this chart, it's pretty much the same growth curve. Serviced offices, static. Office space and others, static. Co-working is more than just the idea of a membership model and a cool space in benches with hipsters in Brooklyn or whatever. Co-working is about a new approach to CRE and a new agile approach. And this is what clients are looking for online. This is the new way of trying to procure real estate. And one of the big anathemas about uh, co-working is just exactly what it entails. The understanding of the model of what entails co-working is completely wrong. From our number, co-working, true co-working, makes up the less than 7% of total flexible workspace market share. Hybrid space is much more. So that's a mixture of co-working and private office space. This is more what WeWork and a lot of the other operators sell. Private space mixed with breakout areas, mixed with amenity space. And that's more of the IWG model of real estate and what they sell. But if you were to speak to your average journalist who writes about co-working or writes about WeWork, their immediate assumption is it's all about co-working and it's about the WeWork co-working model, which is completely erroneous. That model is outmoded and makes up such a small margin and is in fact very hard to make money off. So, we launched our US market reports today, so it was all in your seats, you, you've got this to flick through. But top line numbers, you can see the growth here in the key markets of New York, San Fran. The biggest growth in market share is three to nine desks. It's where it's really starting to expand. So it's not just for startups, for one guy taking zero to two desks. The real growth that we've seen coming in the US, and in fact globally, is bigger requirements coming from bigger organizations looking for space. They want three to nine desks, 15 plus desks. I was speaking to Notel on their stand today. They're saying the average requirements when they first started would be five desks, six desks, and they would cheer when a 10-desker came through. But now it's regularly 30 to 50 desk requirements coming to Notel every single week because it's that corporate demand for additional space, overflow space that's really driving this market. We look now also at term of leases. So over in Europe, in the UK, a lot of flex workspace contracts are on average about 36 months. The reason why this is remarkable is the average lease length in the UK is now less than four years. So in fact, the terms of flex space are almost matching those of the lease lengths. And that's happened very quickly, probably over the last two to three years. In the US, it's still much more agile. So we're still seeing more growth just around the one to three month tenure Four to six months and 10 to 12 months are coming back a bit. My view is I wonder whether people are taking lots of really small bits of flex space and renewing them because they're a bit nervous about the next downturn. They're trying to hedge their bets, take smaller requirements for a smaller period of time just to see how the market pans out and whether the trade war really kicks off. But let's see. That could be a really bad prediction. My favorite stats on the U.S. market. Everyone's talked about co-working in New York, about co-working in San Francisco, and those really big markets. But finally, we're seeing the secondary markets across the US fire. So all those other locations, you can buy a co-working space in St. Louis for half the price of Manhattan on a longer deal. I think finally, as we're seeing against broader economic and social trends, people are starting to choose to move to different cities and to spend time there, and co-working helps fuel that. If you can take agile space in another city and another market, 
and we can see the growth of the blue and the green and the uh, yellow here, people are starting to move away from the really expensive markets in San Francisco, expensive markets in Manhattan, looking for cheaper options, taking agile space, and this, uh, the flexible workspace model fits together with that. Again, this breaks it out. You can see from a small base, lots of what you might call smaller, quieter states are now really starting to grow flexible workspace supply rapidly. The center growth is huge, and it's really coming online. Um, nichevacation is a horrible word, which I, I, I kind of made up. It's not a real word, but this shows that despite all the press, WeWork, for example, make up less than 5% of total market share which blows the minds of most journalists who hear it. Their immediate assumption is that WeWork have a huge part of the market. This is not true. Even IWG only have about 5% of the market. This is a hugely independent, fragmented market. The average operator has one or two centers. They work on really small margins on small space of less than 5,000 square feet. That's the huge diaspora of flexible workspace operators. It's a really indie market. What's interesting over the last year is, despite the growth of Convene, Notel, and WeWork, the indie operators made up even a bigger share over the last year. So the market's becoming even more fragmented. My view is that's because more and more co-working operators and flex workspace operators are catering to niches within different markets. They're recognizing that women-only space, tech-only space, incubators are the way to go. They know their markets, they can fill that space at 95% occupancy, and it really works for them. Uh, the UK, really similar, I just wanted to show you an example, a massively fragmented market made up of lots of indie operators. Now, this is a, a UK piece of data, which unfortunately we can't replicate for the US because the reporting around sub 5,000 and sub 10,000 square feet space is so poor that we had to work really hard to pull this together just for the UK. But when you look at the impact on the sub 5,000 square feet market of flex space, you can see this is what's killing landlords in the UK. We've spoken to land securities, British land, the biggest landlords in the market, and they're dying because their transactional uh, revenue from all that 5,000 square feet space, that made up 95% of their transactions in one calendar year. It's all gone to the flexible workspace market. Flex workspace operators are hoovering it up through aggressive brand marketing, digital lead generation, and the conventional landlords just don't know where to go with it. And you can see the correlation here between vacancy rates in sub 5,000 square feet, and when you plot it against growth of flex workspace demand, it correlates perfectly. As soon as I can get this US data, I want to share it, because I'm sure it's the same story that landlords are seeing this demand evaporate. And this is our prediction for the US market. So I think given the WeWork IPO and the way people are talking in the market at the moment, it might get bumpy for a while in terms of demand, but one thing is clear, there is not enough supply now to meet the demand in the market in so many cities. Maybe in Manhattan, where you have a really, really congested market and a lot of flex workspace that's come to, to, to market at this time, but in other cities, the demand far outstrips the supply. There needs to be a lot of growth in supply from flexible workspace operators, especially in secondary cities to get there. But either way, our prediction, our punchiest prediction, is for 12,000 centers by 2023. So only four years away. Currently, the US market is now 5,300 centers across the whole country, as far as we can tell, which makes it the biggest market in the world. 
How am I doing for time, by the way? Really? How much longer? Even though, okay. So I'll, um, that's our market forecast. I'll try to leave a bit of time for questions if possible. Uh, but just to skip to the end, as you're killing me, that's all right. So the biggest challenge we have at Instant is big corporates coming to us and trying to procure flex space. Because flexible workspace and the procurement doesn't flip fit within their procurement model thus far. They're really struggling with the bigger corporates to say, right, we want to take a big slab of convened space and hotel space. Their internal teams don't have the benchmarking or the value op to really understand quite what they're buying and how to, to derive metrics from it. But we see challenges in procurement, bringing technology together, looking at IT security is a real problem for corporates taking flex workspace. Security along the same lines. Many corporates are frustrated that they can't show off their brands in flexible workspace. So a lot of operators, like a convener, becoming very nimble at letting other companies show their brands within them. WeWork used to be very uptight about this and have now become more liberal because corporates have said, we need our brand in the building. HR want to track their staff. Where are their staff? What are they doing? What are the retention numbers like? That's harder when you take flex workspace. And similarly, finance are struggling because they're used to their lease bill and they're used to uh, a really skewy way of viewing the cost of real estate. When they get a total cost of occupancy from a flex workspace supplier, it's a totally different way of doing it. So these are all the challenges we see thus far. And where are we going to go next? So this is the S-curve of business development. We pulled some numbers to try and figure out where we are. I think it's fair to say would we all agree we're at the peak of inflated expectations for the flexible workspace sector. I think the uh, events of the last month or so with uh, Adam Newman really show that we're probably got to this point now of, of maximum hype. I think the market will come back a little bit now for a while, but we'll see consolidation, and then flex workspace will become the new normal, the plateau of productivity, and companies need to understand more how it fits within their portfolio. Uh, and I'm out of time, unless I have any questions. That's fine. Uh, shall I stay for questions at the end? Yeah. Uh, last thing, there are some market reports on your seats. If you want another report, we've got more here to try and exp uh, explain what I've been talking about. But thanks very much for coming down. Thank you for tuning into What's Next. Have an idea or point of view? Want to record a podcast of your own? Visit cornetglobal.org slash podcast.